This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? Welcome to episode 32 of Your Missing the Point podcast, where we discuss the weird, the wonderful, and the downright bizarre aspects of life, as we have conversations with people from all over the world. Today, I'm joined by a woman who was educated and trained in the scientific medical system, a professional with a strong moral and ethical compass, a woman who was humbled through her information she has uncovered and changed her thinking about the medical establishment and its role in society. Host of the Speed Bumps podcast, ladies and gentlemen, let us welcome One Thumb Al. Welcome, Al. That was a fantastic intro. Thank you, Drew. Not a problem at all. Like I said, um, like a lot of your listeners would know, you've had a lot of your own speed bumps or challenges in life uh, around your mm-hmm. own medical history and um, physical things along those lines. But I think really the most eye-opening thing and the greatest thing I think that you've you've done in your own time is change your thinking of the way the medical system actually works and the things it's supposed to be doing for people they seem to be polar opposite. And to flip your thinking around that for someone who's been trained in that system and educated as a professional, that's a hell of a thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I have had 19 surgeries, um, many of which without Western medicine, I would not be alive. So Western medicine, I fully appreciate the things that they do. Um, I have my bachelor's in cellular and molecular biology and my master's in infectious diseases and microbiology. And as a kid, people would be like, oh, you should be a doctor. And I'd be like, eh, I don't really want to be a doctor. Like, I want to understand the more minutia of it. So I went to the lab. And I was trained to basically work with potential biological weapons. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be the person that you saw in like the crazy apocalypse movies with like the whole spacesuit and the respirators going to the middle of Africa, like finding Ebola. That is what I wanted to do. And my parents thought I was nuts, um, but I thought it was so cool. And so I actually did that for a while in grad school. That was what my thesis was on and I loved it. I My dream was to work for like the CDC in Atlanta or at this lab in Maryland. And I did those things for a bit, um, not the CDC or the lab in Maryland, but like working with bioweapons and making vaccines and understanding, you know, what goes into them, how to make a quote unquote good one. I worked for pharma for multiple years. And in April 7th of 2021, I up and left the pharma industry. Um, I, that was when the world was really weird with the C word. Can I say the C word? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. Well, like in, in the height of COVID. And um, I just, I was seeing all these things that were happening. And 
I left. Like, I still have an immense respect for Western medicine. I just think it's completely overused. And so I've now turned to things like homeopathy and herbal medicine and essential oils and things like that and really understanding what the body needs and how to fuel it just through food, ideally. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a strange place to be, especially if you've got a background in medicine or you've been educated in aspects of science of medicine. You can't throw the baby out of the bathwater for all the fantastic things that Western medicine has done. Unfortunately, yeah. there's aspects of of Western medicine where a lot of people just simply wouldn't be alive today, and the challenges that we face as a species, we wouldn't have been able to overcome within aspects of that. Now, saying that those things can't potentially be done or supported by natural remedies or things that have existed for hundreds of thousands of years, that's something that I think a lot of people uh, who have been in that scientific field are starting to become aware of now. You're seeing a lot, especially in nursing, um, some GPs, a lot of people who faced mandates and didn't back down are really starting to go down this uh down this road and uncovering and relearning what it is to have good practice in medicine. Yeah. And I don't, for me, it was this realization that I wasn't educated. I wasn't educated. I was indoctrinated. And so I was indoctrinated to believe all of these things. And while they wanted me to research, it was only research the things that they told me to and just blindly trust them on other things. And I did because I was so overwhelmed studying for the exams. How would I have time to do this extra research that wasn't part of my exams. And then when I was in pharma, you know, there's the long hours and things like that. And so you don't really have the time for that either. And why would you question that? Why would you read an insert for a medical product or read an insert for a vaccine or go back and look at, you know, the data from diphtheria or the flu or polio, you know, the number of cases, you know, that had actually started to decline before a vaccine was introduced. Like, why would you go and look at those? You wouldn't. I wouldn't. I didn't. It wasn't until I really started to question so many things with COVID that I was like, there's something off here. And I talk about this account all the time on Instagram. It's called Just the Inserts. Same website by the name, justtheinserts.com. And what this woman does is she just takes the insert, that little folded up piece of paper that's in every medical product, at least in the U.S., and puts it online for as much as she can. She started with vaccines. Now she does other pharmaceutical products. And it's the stuff that you don't know. It's the stuff that the doctors just go, oh, that's really rare. It can never happen. But it totally does. Have you heard of a medication called Clomid? Uh, I don't believe so. Can you recharge my memory on that one. I'm not too sure. Yeah. So Clomid is commonly given to women to help them conceive. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And so if a woman has had a lot of miscarriages, they will be given Clomid. It's been around, I want to say for about 50 years. So you would think, right, something that's been around for 50 years, it must be safe, right? Well, in the insert of Clomid, just the insert inserts had actually done um, a piece on Clomid and my mom had took Clomid, Clomid to conceive me. So I read this and this was probably maybe six months ago now. And I was like, holy shit, my arm, my heart, 
my kidneys, my parathyroid, my the size that my ears are really small. All of it are because my mother took Clomid. And if you go and read the insert for Clomid, it says fetal neonatal abnormalities. And it's listed all of these things. And I know women today, including one of my cousins, who's going to be prescribed Clomid, who was like, wait, what? Like, that's a possibility. I was like, yeah, like, go read the insert. And these these women are never told. Now, am I here today because my mother took Clomid? Yeah, probably. And I'm uber thankful for that. But she wasn't told. And I've been to three or four geneticists trying to figure out, like, well, if I have kids, are my kids going to be born like me, right? Like all of these things. No, probably not. I just got fucked up because my mom took a medication that she was told was totally safe. Now, is this a synthetic hormone or is it a... Um, I don't remember. I want to... It basically is supposed to stimulate the ovaries into releasing eggs. Um... And I haven't really read much into how it works or anything like that because I saw basically all my diagnoses and I was like, I don't want to know more because I'm still very angry about it. And I I remember being a teenager, like debating, should I have kids? Should I have kids? Right? Like if they're end up like me, like I'm going to blame myself. Like it was almost a decade of debating, should I have children? Is it responsible to have children? When, had I just known about the insert, none of that would have happened. Because at one point I was told, I have a 50% chance of having a baby born like me, which is totally not true. So you've potentially given up all this time that you could have been trying to start a family, stressing and worrying about something that may never actually come. Yep. So this, this really stems to what I think and correct me if I'm wrong, the basis of everything that underlines your change in mentality and thinking around it, it's not just a, a change in how you perceive medicine and how it can help people. You've actually got skin in the game. You you were born with your own challenges and that in turn, it dictated your life and what you do. And like you said, concerning yourself around starting a family, will will my children have a chance of being born with the same challenges that I have? And that's actually put you in a position where you're researching doing things that you wouldn't have done, I dare say, if you didn't switch your thinking in medicine. You probably would have gone off those people that told you it was a 50-50 chance and you would just left it at that. Yeah, like, I didn't even research Clomid. Like, and I would mention it to the geneticist, like, yeah, my mom took Clomid to conceive me. Okay, and that would be the end of it. So instead, what I was researching is all these syndromes that I was given. Not even considering that Clomid was a possibility. Um, and, and who knows why my mom needed that medication to conceive and like things like that. Like, I'm sure there was multiple factors. But she wasn't told. Now, do I think it was malicious on the doctor's intent? No, I think the doctor probably didn't know either. But it's that type of thinking that bothers me. Because... If you're going to be a general practitioner or uh, a PCP or, you know, depending on where you are in the world, maybe know the reactions of like antibiotics, if that's what you're going to be most likely to give out. If you're 
an OBGYN maybe know the potential risks of these fertility medications. If you're going to be a cardiac, right? Like blood pressure, like know at least those. I know you can't know everything, but at least know those. And when a patient comes to you and says, hey, I'm having these really weird symptoms, don't give them another prescription or write them off. I had to have um, surgery on my hip after I was hit by a car as a pedestrian. And they had to give me a blood thinner. And I kept saying, I'm having this numbness and tingling in my feet and my hands, and it feels like they're asleep all the time. And I was actually on this fairly new medication called Xeralto. No, it's not that. No, it's not that. Well, thankfully, I was only on it for two weeks. And as soon as I went off of it, the feeling went away. I was like, well, that's the only thing that changed. Clearly, it was a Xeralto. And so this lack of informed consent is what I think really bothers me about doctors. Because they don't take the time to ask you. And if you bring up something, if you even point it out in an insert and be like, hey, this medication, this says this, they go, no, they gaslight you. So, like, obviously, I needed open heart surgery, essential oils and homeopathy. They, they, they weren't going to fix my heart. I needed to have open heart surgery. But other things, I feel like doctors could, they weren't in it for the, if they were truly in it for wellness care and patient care, they'd be more open to natural medicines. But then they wouldn't make money, so. Yeah, it's, um. It's a situation where there's definitely really great doctors out there, and I've I've experienced them myself, that they'll go through even the slimmest of margins, the smallest percentages. This is a reaction that could happen, but they still inform you. But in saying that, I think there's a lot of doctors out there who, like you said, they'll either gaslight you or the percentage, according to them, is so small they don't even bother acknowledging it as a possibility. They think that because it's so small percentage-wise, why even bother talking about it or, or acknowledging it in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. I remember I really started to wake up to things March, April of 2020 because things weren't, they they just, they weren't making sense. And I ended up getting a ruptured ovarian cyst in Christmas of 2020. And so that's when they're doing the PCR tests and all this other stuff. So I did those tests. I was still working for a farmer at the time. I know how to run the test. I know like everything that's needed. And so my husband tells the story better than I do. But basically, I was bleeding internally on no pain medication. And they wanted to give me a COVID test because they told me I needed emergency surgery. And I said, no, I, I'm not. I don't have COVID. I'm bleeding internally. Like, well, then we're going to put you in an OR. We're going to assume you're COVID positive. And I'm like, you want to go work on my ovaries? all extra gowned up and have less dexterity? I was like, no. I was, and so I started asking him questions about what's a cycle threshold? Who, who's the manufacturer? Is this CLIA approved? What are the primers? And they're like, um, we don't know. Let me go get someone. I out-talked four doctors. No one could answer me. And so I signed myself out of the hospital and they were livid. And when I requested my patient records, my full patient records, I was labeled as 
combative and argumentative. And I wear those as a badge of honor. <laughs> it's like a lot of professionals, people, especially you see it in doctors, you see it in pilots in the Air Force. If you get to a certain echelon in societal standing and a certain education level, air quotes, it's like a God complex and people don't like being yes. challenged on what they determine to be truth. And if yes. you have any kind of evidence to the contrary, they'll they'll knock it back. It's You see the same thing in academia and especially I learned this really early on. I had this fantastic paper written, all referenced, backed up with evidence through the scientific method, helped prove my argument I was trying to point out. I thought I did it really well, had other people that read it and thought it was fantastic because it didn't fit the narrative at the time, I was failed on that paper and given an opportunity to rewrite it in a way that was more pleasing. So I wrote the paper they wanted to hear and what do I get a distinction on it? So I learned very quickly the system only wants to hear its way of thinking. So those doctors that you've encountered are probably very similar to lecturers out there, university um, doctors and, and alike. So how do you get around that then? If the system is so corrupted just by people's sheer hubris, how do we challenge that system then? How do we how do we push back against it? Is it enough so to I be informed? So I was that person. I was that person that had the huge ego who called people anti-vaxxers, who thought they were crazy, conspiracy theorists. Like I was that person. I actually have a post on my Instagram that literally starts off with, um, as an infectious disease scientist who, who made vaccines, I'm sorry. And it's this whole thread because I was that person. And so the thing that woke me up was a personal experience and personally seeing things within the media that did not match what I was taught in school. So before masks were mandated, I was like, if it is airborne, like they are saying, now, mind you, think of this back in like February, March of 2020, before y'all come at me. If it's airborne, like they're saying, and as deadly as they're saying, we need to be wearing N95s. We need to not take the kids out. We need like, you know, only go really places that we need to. And the media is saying, and the government is saying, oh no, you don't need to wear a mask. It's totally fine. And I'm like, that's not what I learned in school. And then it flipped where now it's, we well, should wear a mask, but just like a surgical mask or like a t-shirt or something like that. And it's going to work just as well. And I'm like, no, it won't. That like, that doesn't make sense. And so seeing these institutions that I thought for the most part were infallible and I didn't understand naively why they would lie. Like, why would the CDC lie? Why would the FDA lie? Like, I didn't, I didn't understand. And then seeing what they were saying, I was like, there's something off here. And I started digging. But I, no one could have told me. I had to see it for myself. You couldn't have pointed it out to me. My husband couldn't have pointed it out to me. In fact, one of the things I told him when we first met was, I really hope you're not a crazy anti-vaxxer. And now I will never vaccinate my children. So when I say I've done a 180, but it's because I wanted to look into it. It was these little breadcrumbs that the media dropped and my husband dropped, that other people dropped, that I was like, oh, I'm going to look into this. And that account that I mentioned, just the inserts, 
was so non-confrontational. It was kind of like, hey, did you know? And I was really receptive to that. Because I had already kind of like had this little door open just to crack. And so I found that account and I was like, I've been judging so many people. I was such an asshole. Holy shit. Like, I was such an <laughs> asshole. Um, like, I thought I knew everything and I totally didn't. And so I don't know how to change the system. I don't have an answer beyond it has to happen on a very personal level. And you can't force it down anyone's throat. And the best piece of advice that I've heard anyone say is if you want to give anyone new information that potentially conflicts with their worldview, you ask them, are you open to hearing new information about this? And if they say no, you drop it. You don't push. And you go, okay. And you change the subject. And if they say yes, then you ease into it. But if they're not, if they don't want to hear it, then don't bother. You certainly can't lead a horse to water. That old saying seems to ring true. Out of all this, though, I dare say that you weren't indoctrinated as much as you think you were. If anything, I think what's happened, especially in the medical system over these past three and a half years, is that it's pointed out and shown the people who are truly indoctrinated and people that actually follow the meat and potatoes of the scientific method. They Like your, your story, you saw the mainstream media and science flip on a dime. Yeah. And the, the thing I hated all the way through it was, oh, the science changes. The science oh. changes. Well, no, no, it doesn't. My whole time, the whole time I was, I was watching what was going on, it got to a point where one of the strains came out and they gave it a infectious rating similar to measles, super contagious or so bad. And I thought to myself, oh, they're going to bust the hazmat suits out. Surely they're going to have to, in these words, right. they're going to have to be wearing hazmat suits. Because you can't get by on an N95. You can't get by on gloves and gowns. It's going to have to be stepped up. Never happened. Not at all. Yeah. And, you know, you you would hear stories of nurses wearing N95s for 10 hours or reusing masks. And I'm like, that that doesn't work that way. And also, you can't, you shouldn't even be in a respirator for more than four hours before they make you come out. So like, how are, like, how is this working? Cause that's not safe. Like there were so many things that I was just like, that that's not what I was taught. And if it's as infectious as they say it is like, I'm not seeing that. I would have known someone, you know, within by July that had it. I didn't know anyone. It just, it wasn't adding up. So you had the the media pushing things that you knew fundamentally were just completely false and the media constantly changing the narrative as air quotes, new information arrives, which really they were covering their own ass by saying they suddenly you needed masks because they weren't willing to give any out in the first place. What was the next step? So you had this niggling feeling that these the information was was false and it was happening for a reason. What was the big slap in the face? What was the the ultimate thing that just told you 100% that your your niggling feeling, your gut feeling was correct? Was there a single event or something that happened stateside? I don't think there was like a single event that really confirmed that like pushed me to the 180. But the thing that 
push me to leave pharma entirely. So I was pretty awake while still working for pharma at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, um, fully aware of what was going on. And at this point, they were starting to roll out the vaccines for first responders. And so completely untested, like I thought this was an absolutely horrible idea. And people at my work were getting them. And I was a lab manager. And so I had, and it was a smaller startup. So I had access and was in charge of many different things um, on many different email threads. And there was an instance where unlabeled chemicals were shipped across state lines, which is a federal fence in the U.S., unlabeled. If, it's, if they're unlabeled without the proper like paperwork, sent to another company for testing. And I guess for proprietary reasons, the receiving lab was not told exactly what chemical A and chemical B were. Just here's chemical A, here's chemical B is how they were labeled. And one of the concentrations was incorrect. And so the receiving lab mixed them incorrectly creating a spillover. So it got on the table, it got on the person, got on the floor. And these people didn't know what they were working with. They emailed our company. And one of the first people to respond back was, ha ha ha, looks like you're having fun playing with chemicals. Not, hey, this is how you clean it up. Hey, this person should probably go to the doctor. Like none of that. And they were like carcinogenic. Like they, they were not It was not baking soda and vinegar, okay? And I found out about this, and I was like, like, are are we going to do anything about this? Like, are we going to tell the company? And they're like, no, we can't for proprietary reasons. And I'm like, this, like, and there there was all these little different baby things with that company that finally I was just like, I quit. I left a six-figure income, basically, and I was like, I quit. Um, I told, he wasn't my husband yet, but I told Mike at the time, I was like, I don't know how we're going to make this work, but I can't do this. Like they're having labs in people's basements and people's garages. Like it, it, it was a mess. It was a giant mess. And, um, then they tried to deny me unemployment because I technically quit, but also there was sexual harassment and other things. And when they tried to say they weren't going to pay me unemployment, I was like, I let the state know about all of these different things. I magically got unemployment, but I've since been blacklisted from the pharma industry. How dare you question the authority that is <laughs> big pharmaceuticals? It's 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 quite shocking how and for those like we're informed, we know the scientific method and the safeguards and the and the things you need to go through to make sure you get something safely to market, let alone handled by labs. The amount of corners that were cut and the grey areas that were that were played with, if yep. it had happened in a time that's not a pandemic, you would have companies shut down and they'd be all over the news. No. You no, wouldn't. you don't think so? No, because it happens without pandemics. Okay, get into it for me then. (laughs) (laughs) So were certain things rushed and not done appropriately because of the pandemic? 100%. But does it only happen in a pandemic? No. No vaccine has ever had a 
um, double blind, purely placebo, which they're supposed to, none of them. I can't speak for other countries, but I can speak for the U.S. Um, Zantac, which is like a common heartburn medication in the U.S., was on the market for like 50 years or something like that. And then they came out and they're like, oh, yeah, we've known this can probably cause stomach cancer for like two decades, but we're only just now telling you about it. So pharma companies know. If you every pharma company has had lawsuits against them, Bayer is one of the worst. And Bayer, Pfizer, it just. They have so much money. That they keep it out of the press and they pay the fine or the lawsuit or whatever, and they settle and they go on and they keep making more money. The pandemic wasn't special. It just brought certain things to light and made a few more people question, but that is the norm of the pharma industry is we'll just pay someone off. Do you think it's more of a case than that the pandemic gave the general public who weren't aware of what was going on, it gave them a almost a sense of consent for these corners to be cut because it was such a, a big threat to public health that they they really didn't care. It was like an out of sight, out of mind situation. Like, yeah, we know it's going on, but but it has to happen because there's it's such a big threat, so contagious, and so deadly. Because that's what the media has told us. Yep. I yeah. I, I think that's what it is. And the people that come out and be like, oh, they're, the vaccines were totally safety tested and things like that. In comparison to some vaccines, actually, the COVID one was probably tested longer than some of the other ones, believe it or not. Um, some of them were only tested for like three days. So, <laughs> like, in that respect, yeah, they were probably followed a little bit longer. But it's not... The COVID vaccine wasn't any different. We just don't hear about, oh, hey, they're developing a new flu one and how quickly that happens. So they're told, oh, it takes 10, 12 years. It really, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. Something Not I found, if they don't want it to. No, there's something very interesting that I came across quite recently is that I think I know why they've gone so hard on ivermectin when it was in the limelight of being a possible treatment, not only because it was so cheap and effective, but because it was an animal product, they couldn't rely on mRNA animal vaccines, which have been in use since 2006. So my natural thinking would be if they'd had mRNA vaccines being used in animals for such a long time, why weren't they publicly talking about how safe and effective they are in livestock? But because they shot themselves in the foot and demonizing one aspect of treatment for animals, they couldn't run down that line of it. I've since found out that particularly in America, vaccines in chickens have been used with an mRNA variety since at least 2006. I haven't read that. I don't know um, what that is. I know there was talk of doing it in cattle. Um I don't know if it if it is or not. I think the one thing though that they the new world order insert whatever verbiage you want here. One thing that they did brilliantly is they created this scenario where people would say, "Oh, but the COVID vaccine, it's not a real vaccine." 
And so that's bad. And people are like, yeah, yeah, it's not a real vaccine. And, and, and so that's bad. Well, that unspoken part is, well, that means that all the other vaccines are okay then, or they're not as bad. And so when so many people were caught up in this word play of is it a vaccine, is it not a vaccine, it was simply creating more of a divide of, well, the COVID vaccine, yeah, that's bad, but all the other ones, yeah, they, they can't be as bad because they were, they've been around so much longer. And so everything that was used as a negative against the COVID vaccine was then spun as a positive for the other vaccine schedule in America. I don't know what happened in Australia, but I heard people do this and I'm like, you're playing into their hand and you don't even realize it. Yes, it gave a a support or credence to that traditional, air quotes, DNA vaccines with the past that have been around since the 60s, whenever, since your grandparents have been using. They're fine because your grandparents had them, (laughs) but these new ones, these new ones, you have to avoid those. So it's, it's had the effect of, creating a i think was which is still a very small minority of people who have gone completely anti-vax and i hate using that term because it's it's a negative connotation but people are vaccine skeptical um and it's reinforced people to stay with the traditional vaccines but question the motives and the efficacy around mrna because it's not an air quotes vaccine it's a it's a treatment so you've gone through this journey now you've You've uncovered the things in your own professional career that made you quit your job and leave that industry. What was the first step in re-educating yourself or relearning what the medical system is? Like you said, um, majority of vaccines, if not all vaccines, aren't actually required or needed. They have huge issues if you look at the safety um, data around them that, that does exist, the very small safety data. What was the first mainstream vaccine that you saw as being extremely detrimental? For me, I think the one that I really started to question first was the Gardasil vaccine or the HPV vaccine. Um, Just because I and so many other women that I knew were actually vaccine injured because of it. And then I started questioning the flu vaccine. And then I think it was Hep B because hepatitis B if it's typically transmitted via IV drugs and um, gay sex. And so why are we giving it to newborns on the first and second day of life? That made no sense to me. If the mother doesn't have Hep B, why are we giving it to a baby? Um, And also, even if the mother did have Hep B, giving the vaccine to a newborn isn't going to matter because they would have already potentially been exposed and a vaccine takes supposedly up to two weeks at minimum to develop any type of antibody and a newborn, it's going to take a lot longer. So that just also made no sense to me. So having these little pieces of information that I think I always knew, but I had never put those puzzle pieces together. So like tetanus, tetanus is an anaerobic bacteria. So that means it can't survive in the presence of oxygen. Well, if you have a cut and it bleeds, if it bleeds, that means there's oxygen, right? Because blood turns bright red when it's so why are we giving tetanus shots if someone steps on a nail or gets a cut why aren't we giving tetanus igg if we're really worried about tetanus because that tetanus vaccine would take two weeks to kick in 
Like, that doesn't make any sense. Same thing with rabies. If a person gets bit by a bat or a rabid animal, why are we giving a rabies vaccine instead of rabies IgG? The pure antibodies, that's what IgG is. Why aren't we doing that? That makes sense. And so these little things were just like, huh. Like I'd always known, but I'd never quite put the puzzle piece together in that way before. So you're starting to form a picture out of these puzzle pieces. They might have been scattered on the table, but now you're starting to get a clear, concise picture of what, about what's happening. It's interesting that you mentioned the HPV vaccine because there's been this really strange thing where they're giving it to boys. The idea yep. being that if they give it to young men, it's, it's going to be an additional safeguard to stop girls from developing it, which just seems so counterintuitive and just a way of getting another 50% of the population to cash cow out of it or get governments to pay for things that don't need to be there. What I find really interesting, so I will be, I can do math, 32 in like a week. And so a lot of women around my age, not all of them, but a lot of them are either having or had trouble conceiving or they have very irregular periods or they have PCOS or endometriosis. And it seems like very anecdotally, much higher rates than our mothers. And I'm like, why? Well, the Gardasil vaccine was introduced and PCOS and endometriosis are potential side effects of that. Like, first of all, I saw this meme, which also kind of made sense of, do you guys have Bath and Body Works in Australia? No, we don't. Okay. Basically, it's horribly scented perfumes and candles and lotions and things like that. Um, And for women my age, for the longest time, it was like the thing to go to Bath and Body Works and get all your new body sprays. Well, you're spraying it right on your thyroid. Of course, that's going to mess with you. But it's all these different pieces. I can't say it's one thing, right? I can't say it's definitively just this. But I find it really interesting because a lot of women are having a lot of the same symptoms. So what what are the common denominators? Yeah, it's multifaceted. I don't think it's just one thing. It's a combination of multiple things. That's why it's so easy for the medical establishment now to try and obfuscate the obvious side effects of the COVID vaccine. Oh, young yeah. people have always had um, strokes or heart attacks. Yes, in very extreme cases, it does occur because of X, Y, and Z. It does, you're correct. Right. But the marked increase is the issue. When it comes to fertility, it's it's really, really fascinating the effect that throwaway diapers have had on children. You're putting petroleum-based products on the genital areas of children for the longest time. So what do we know about plastics and what effects they have on hormones? We know that it it absolutely makes the human hormones that are produced in the body, whether that's estrogen or testosterone, they plummet when exposed to plastics. So what's happening to these young kids at an early age being exposed to it, throw into that a lifetime of other factors, including other vaccines in the schedule. It's not hard to see why there are such an increase in fertility issues in women particularly. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the plastic water bottles and um, I, I know in the U.S. we don't have a lot of, unfortunately, uh, regulations on a lot of things. We can have a lot more things in our beauty products and things like that, that even Europe and Australia like does not allow. So 
American women have that unfortunate um, burden to bear that like just added burden, toxic burden, but it's, it, you're right. It is so many different things. And, but the one thing, because even women who are like in their forties, just a few years older than me, don't seem to have the same problems. It's yes. like I've been 35, 35 to like, and, and, and younger are having the problems. And you have to look at what, in my opinion, what was introduced at that time. And it was the Gardasil vaccine. And I remember when it first came out, it was just for girls from like 13 to like 16. And if you did not fall in that window and you were not a girl, you could not get it. Now it's for men and women up to the age of 45. And I'm like, and as young as nine, nine to 45. What? It just flies, it flies in the, the face of common sense. And I think, like I said, how it's so multifaceted, they can gaslight people into making them look like idiots by suggesting that it's any one root cause, but it might have been the trigger for it. It might have been right. all the other things going along with women in your generation or my generation that have built up the susceptibility for one thing to just trigger infertility issues as a major cause. Like, you said it's women in their forties. We you just don't see it. Fifty women no. who are twenty years older than me. Yep. I've never heard of couples having issues trying to conceive. But within my age bracket now, it's every second couple. Yeah, and it's really concerning. Yeah, it is, and it, it's also really devastating on so many levels. And it just one of the things that they won't test in women, at least in the U.S., until you've had two or three miscarriages, is your level of progesterone. And your level of progesterone is actually a really good indicator of whether or not you can safely carry a baby. Why can't you just check it after the first one? Like, I've had women be, like, trying to get their OBGYNs, like, please just test me for this. No, we're just going to, what, wait until you lose a couple more babies? Like, why not just test them? You'll test them for everything else. Yeah, it seems to be the approach in Western medicine that I don't really approve of. They, they'll they do one mainstream baseline test and then when failures happen or things start to become unclear, they go, oh, let's try this test. Let's try this test. Wouldn't you try to rule out every single possibility first so that you're not wasting, A, your own time as a doctor, wasting the patient's time, putting them through trauma and and issues around whatever they're facing get it done early instead of dragging things out and making people go through the jumping through the hoops of especially infertility issues around not being able to have a child because the the mental the psychological the the effects on a woman and the partner are so high going through those through that challenge it's like a roller coaster it's ups and downs when yep. you're going through infertility and to have that hit you in the face that, oh, let's try this test now. Let's try this test. It's really frustrating with the establishment of why aren't you doing these tests at the start? Yeah. And the other thing too is a lot of women were put on birth control when you're like 14, 15, 16, and then you're on it for like 10 years. And you just have this idea that when you come off of it, you'll automatically get pregnant. Um, No, no. 
Uh, I highly recommend the documentary, The Business of Birth Control. And that will explain so much that like, I don't have, I feel like we don't have the time to get into like all of that, but birth control is not what you think it is. If you think it's just um, delaying your period, like you're not really having a real period when you're on it, like birth control is just really, really bad. Had I known, I would never have gone on it. Yeah, well, even in my wife's situation where it wasn't a case of I don't want to get pregnant, it was I have painful periods and my doctors advised me to be on birth control to control my cramps. Yep. The major- I dare say the majority of women are on birth control for that one fact, not actively to avoid pregnancy. I would agree with that statement. And instead of Western medicine being like, hey, um, being incapacitated when you're on your period like that's not normal like having really painful periods that's not normal instead of being like hey why is this happening here's a pill you'll be fine yeah that's it's it's a, it's a bigger failure with western medicine is to treat the symptoms not the root cause and it seems to be in yeah. everything and you know that's not to say that if you go to the natural medicine route that finding that root cause is easy. Like, I don't want to give that impression. Natural medicine doctors, whether they be um, homeopaths or naturopaths or acupuncturists or whatever they may be, I'm not saying you're going to go to one and they're going to have the magic answer in the first visit. But they're at least looking for their root cause. And without that root cause, you're just going to be on pills for the rest of your life. And then pills, Whatever the, the side effects of other pills and it, right, it snowballs. Right. I remember when I was hit by that car as a pedestrian, got PTSD. Like I, I was through the ringer. It was like seven broken bones at once. It, it was a nightmare. So I couldn't focus on anything. And so they're like, well, here's a medicine for depression. Here's a medicine to help you sleep. Oh, you're having night sweats. Here's another medicine to help with the night sweats. Here's a medicine to help you concentrate. And I, at one point, I was on like eight different medications. And I was like, this can't be good. Like, because if I miss a dose of something, I like fall apart. Like that can't be normal. Like that can't be good. And it wasn't in the sobago your mind. So I was hit. May 6th of 2014. It wasn't until I went to a doctor for my pelvis because my pelvis was broken in like the end of June that they were like, you seem to be exhibiting a lot of concussion symptoms and like PTSD symptoms. Um, Were you ever tested for that? And I was like, "Uh, no. And they're like, oh, well, um, like, you should probably go to therapy. And they're, like, telling me all this stuff. And my dad and I are like, what? We're here for her hip. How are you diagnosing kind of her head? He's like, she, it, it took a month and a half for someone to be like, oh, you're hit by a car. You should probably, like, go see a neurologist and a psychologist. <laughs> what? It's like one hand doesn't know what the other one's doing. That's and, and that's um, you have your specialist fields in medicine, which is fantastic that people dedicate themselves to one part of the body, but they yeah. completely forget about the rest of the things that go on around it. Um, 
My sister. But even when I was in the hospital for a week, no one picked up on it. No. No. (laughs) No. Sorry, your sister-in-law. Sorry, I was going to say my sister-in-law. She's a dentist, so she doesn't study just the mouth. She studies the neck, the head, the muscles, everything around that part of the body. So she will ask questions because I believe she's quite good at what she does. She'll ask questions around um, eating habits, um, whether you've had any injuries, that type of stuff. That helps inform her practice. But for someone to be in a car, to be a hit by a car in that type of a car accident, and they're not even checking your head for concussion or any kind of trauma whatsoever, that's shocking, absolutely shocking. Yeah, they... uh... How does anyone survive the medical system in America? How does that happen? (laughs) So I don't think we're meant to. I think we're meant to be just barely surviving so we continue to go back. We're not meant to thrive. We're meant to barely survive because barely surviving creates repeat customers. If you're thriving, you don't need them. Yeah, and the US is in this unique position where it doesn't have a socialist medical system like the UK where you can wait up to two years to get a, a surgery done. But at the same time, it's highly, highly driven around money. So I was speaking to a friend of mine about her pregnancy and, and what they want to do because they want a home pregnancy in the States. And it was a conversation around it would cost something like fifty to $60,000 in insurance if they'll go to a, a mainstream hospital. I'm like, how do people afford to have kids in America? And that's before they're even being supplied with school um, fees, uh, food, clothing, everything like that for the rest of their life. That's just the initial birth. My God, it's a racket over there. Well, so my understanding is insurance for most things will pay for a lot. And if you don't have insurance, because then, so then there's also this other category of people who are on state insurance, which would just basically be like what you guys have. And then there's a portion of people that um, either insurance is not offered through their employer or for whatever reason, they don't have insurance. And they don't qualify for state insurance. They can, the hospitals and doctors will bill them basically as uninsured. And so I'm going to make up numbers, but I'm not, they're not an exaggeration. If I went to a doctor and I had to get stitches, okay? And so let's say there's lidocaine, the alcohol wipes and six stitches in a nurse. Okay. They would probably charge my insurance company $3,000. Okay. So those four stitches would be like $800. The nurse would be $2,000. And my math is not going to add up here. Um, but it would, it would be crazy numbers. And so if, if I went in and, and I said, Hey, I don't have any insurance. My total bill would probably be like $400. Because they charge the insurance company so much more money than they would the average person. And then also most of the time, you can also then call the hospital or doctor and be like, yeah, I, I can't afford 400 And be like, okay, can you afford like 200 And you'll be like, yeah. And you're like, okay. And then the bill settles. It beco- But it becomes this racket. It, be- it, it, it doesn't make any sense. The it's math a- does not math. 
No, it sounds like money laundering to me. Yes. <laughs> They're putting these inflated numbers on it and then somehow shifting money around and it works somehow. It doesn't follow. Yeah. Doesn't That's not two plus two equals yeah, four. No. That's two plus two equals five. Like a bag of saline is only supposed to be, I don't know, say like 30 bucks, but they'll charge your insurance company 200 How? <laughs> <laughs> Like it, it doesn't make sense. Not at all. It's it's a situation where, like you said, you don't. I don't think that people are designed. The system's designed to make people healthy and make sure that they're tracking along well in life because they won't be a, re- a returning customer ever again. You throw into that the way that the food system works in America, where the ingredients list is like a dictionary on the back of packaging, where ours is quite mm-hmm. small in comparison. You've got all these compounding things building to a sick, sick system. And the medical system is only there to treat the symptoms and not the root cause of mm-hmm. everything that's going on. Yep. There's a pill for everything. It's here. You want this pill here. You're sad here. You're overweight. Oh, the pill for overweight isn't working. How about let's give you a surgery for that? Like it's never, Hey, go run around the block every day. <laughs> like. <laughs> Have you tried stop not eating McDonald's on television? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's never an answer. So what makes you hopeful out of all of this, all the things you've uncovered, the switch in your thinking, you were someone who was indoctrinated by the system. You believed in it. You followed it. You're in your own words, you were dogmatic in your belief at the beginning. It's a complete 180 now and your thinking's changed out of all the the darkness that you've seen in this now, what gives you hope in the areas that you're researching now? It could be an alternative medicine. Um, What makes you hopeful? A few things. So one that alternative medicine or natural medicine or holistic medicine or whatever term you want to use by some doctors is becoming more widely accepted. Um, And you're not looked at like a crazy person who, if you use these things, the fact that there are communities who want to help the, who help, if you're like, Hey, um, and not that they're doctors, but like, Hey, uh, my, my kid is a stomach bug. Like, do you have any natural remedies for that? And people be like, yeah, I do this, this, and this. And you recognize, Hey, it's not medical advice, but then you trust your gut of either what what you know is right for you or your kid and you go with that within reason and giving that power back to people that you can trust yourself like you don't have to go to a doctor to have your baby wait every two and a half weeks to know that they're thriving like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do well baby checks. Like, obviously, if something is wrong, like, take your kid to the doctor. But if the kid's healthy, like, you don't have to do that. And so empowering people to trust themselves, whether it's in regards to their own body or their kid's body, and having people supporting that, having doctors being like, yeah, um, we, we don't need to see your kid. Now, are they few and far between? Yes, but they're coming out. They're there and they exist. And so in having access to these remedies, having the books in the libraries and, you know, the podcasts and the YouTubes and the blogs, and that's what gives me hope is because those 
quote unquote, old ways were never lost. They may have gotten really small in a small group of people, but now they're growing again. And that's what gives me hope. It's great to see that people are rediscovering their roots and and the information that their grandparents had as little as a generation ago in between us and our, yeah. our parents. It's a situation where convenience has been the killer in a lot of things in society where people outsource their own learning, they outsource their own health, they outsource everything. Like that simple analogy of get up off the couch and go for a run, start eating more vegetables, more fruits, eat healthier, yep. try and find a diet that fits your body type. It's it's in the too hard basket. It's so much easier to go to a doctor and say, oh, I want a pill, oh, I want a gastric band put on, put in, put in, or I want a section of my stomach cut out. Like how extreme can it get? People are just outsourcing responsibility in a lot of ways too. And I, I think by that. people re-educating themselves, making themselves aware of options and things they can do themselves. We're only empowering ourselves as a people to take back our health and take our lives back. Yeah. And I feel like that just doesn't go for your health. That goes for anything, researching and deciding for yourself, whatever that topic may be. Excellent. All right, Al, where can people find your fantastic work? Uh, you can find the Speed Bumps podcast on all major platforms, so Spotify, Google, Amazon, on Instagram, it's speed.bumps.podcast. I am also one thumb L, O-N-E, thumb E-L on Instagram. And on Fridays, I put up videos called Fin Approved Fridays. And I show people how I do things with my fin. And if you don't know what that means, that means you should probably go watch my videos. Yes, I've tried to do one where I'm trying to open up a jar and it is extremely hard. I have to duct tape my hand together. And, and to try and emulate the fin. It is really, really hard. We should get that trending with all your listeners trying to do what are everyday um, tasks to you because it is very I, difficult. So I, I tried to start that hashtag. It was going to be the one thumb challenge. That was going to be the hashtag <laughs> so I could track it. Because if people just, you take your non-dominant hand and duct tape, painter's tape, scotch tape, whatever you want to use, tape down your thumb and then like, Try and tie your shoes. Try and open a jar. Like, I don't know, pick something that you do in your everyday that typically requires two hands and like video it because I think that it would be really funny. But then also it would give me ideas of to show people how I do things with my left hand. So awesome. I think it's a great thing. We should try and uh, push it out to a lot of the other podcasters and we should challenge each other. Like that really cringy ice bucket challenge that was going around for a while <laughs> where you name people. Maybe we should get that going for you and get it off the ground. <laughs> Uh, I would be totally down with that. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on. This was a fantastic conversation. All right, everyone, you have a great weekend. Hey, everybody, it's closing time. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here.